Answering Mormon's Questions by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson deals with 36 commonly asked questions by your LDS friends and neighbors. It's a great resource for Christians who want to share their faith with friends and loved ones. Be sure to pick up your copy today at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and we have a treat for you again today. I have with me Marv Cowan, an old friend of mine. I shouldn't say it that way. You've been a friend of mine for a long time. To say an old friend, uh, this sounds derogatory. Although we're both kind of reflecting that uh, as we look back on all the years that we have had working among the Mormon people. And Marv Cowan is with Missions Door. And the website, if you want to read more of Marv's material, is utahchristianpub.com. utahchristianpub.com. Yesterday, Marv, we were talking about your conversion to Christianity and the fact that you were challenged by some of your young friends, Mm because you were a teenager at the time, and you had responded how one of your goals in the next life was to be a god. And, of course, your Christian friends probably looked at you a little cross-eyed, wondering, what in the world are you talking about? And you expressed how you thought the Lorenzo Snow couplet by Fifth President Lorenzo Snow, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become, or man may be, was in the Bible. And so you realize, as you said yesterday, that you were getting towards the age of going on a mission, and you thought, well, I better at least read the standard works. So you were talking about the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and then you started reading the Bible. But as you mentioned yesterday, when you were going through the Book of Mormon, you weren't finding a lot of the unique Mormon teachings that you had been raised on. And that had a, a pretty much a, a profound impact on you. Yes, it did. Why do you think, well, I kind of know the answer to this, but I want to hear your take on it. Why do you think the Book of Mormon is the first and foremost book that the missionaries want their investigators to read and embrace? Why don't they just jump right in with their investigators and just tell them all these unique things about Mormonism? Is it just because it's going to scare them off? Why do they use the Book of Mormon? And do you think that's an honest tactic on their part? Well, they may do it sincerely, but still, uh, I think the reason is because the Book of Mormon sounds a lot like the Bible. In fact, there's a lot of King James Bible in Mm -hmm. the Book of Mormon, and a lot of people assume, uh, I think, because of the similarity, it's a 1611 A.D. English, Mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds like the King James. And back when Smith did that, the King James Bible was basically the Bible that everybody had, There were a few exceptions, but uh, that was the main one. And Smith uh, used that language not only in the Book of Mormon, but uh, you'll find a lot of it in the Doctrine and Covenants, as well as in the Pearl of Great Price. But uh, people in 1830, when the Book of Mormon first came out, weren't speaking 1611 English, so it's peculiar why it comes out in... uh, archaic English at that time. <laughs> now, you're, you're looking back and you're noticing this problem. Yes. But when you were a Mormon, did it ever dawn on you? 
why are Indians speaking in King James English? Right. Uh, uh, it probably didn't, no, uh, uh, I uh, didn't appear to you like that. I didn't but. think of it back at that time, but um, later, uh, the more I studied, uh, those kind of questions did come up. Uh, one of the things in, that uh, early on in reading the Book of Mormon, I saw that skin color change. The Nephites were white-skinned, mm-hmm. the Lamanites were dark-skinned. Right. I think it's in Third Nephi chapter 2 where you can see that change takes place within one year. And as I uh, was thinking about that, I thought, I've been around a number of American Indians that were Mormons, but I've never seen one turn white. And I read on in the Book of Mormon, and it talks about how God does the same miracles today he did anciently. So uh, in my thinking, why isn't that happening? <laughs> you know, you would think that that would probably wake up a lot of people who are reading that, because when it does talk about that when a dark-skinned Lamanite embraces the true gospel, which mm-hmm. of course is the gospel of Mormonism, that it, they would turn white and delights them. Mm-hmm. And... I remember when I was first studying Mormonism and I read that and I thought, why doesn't that affect Latter-day Saints more than it does? Why do they seem to gloss over that and not think about that? Because I remember Spencer Kimball making a big deal out of this. Yes. Because um, he was, what, from Safford, Arizona. He was near, uh, there's large Indian reservations, of course, in Arizona. So he's very familiar with the Native Americans down there. And, and he actually, want, at one point, gave an example of a young girl who had embraced Mormonism, and he said was turning shades lighter than her darker parents. And I remember reading that going, they are actually espousing this teaching. Now, that's not something you hear anymore, of course, and you probably wouldn't since it's... You know, since 1978, when it comes to the seed of Cain, as they called those of African heritage, which of course, the skin color issue is the same, but it's a two it's two different people groups. Right. And, I, and I notice that a lot of Christians sometimes don't understand that you mm-hmm. can't mix those. It's still showing some kind of spirituality dependent on your skin color, mm-hmm. which of course is nonsensical. But that was a part of early Mormonism. Now, when the change is made in 1978. You've been out of Mormonism now for a long time. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you still probably knew of Mormons and knew at least the temperature here in Utah because you've been here for decades. What was the mindset when that happened in 1978, when the priesthood ban against those who were of African heritage all of a sudden were allowed to hold the priesthood? What was the climate? Do you remember back then in 78? Yes, I do. Uh, okay. There were some that were very upset. Mm. Uh, there were some that uh, actually dropped out of the church because of that. They just couldn't believe that uh, something so basic could change like that because back when I was growing up, it, it was ingrained. It was part of the pre-mortal existence. These... Uh, People with a dark skin were people that were uh, undecided. They couldn't make up their minds, and they didn't want to follow Satan at that point. But and this uh, is talking about the the war in heaven. Yes, is the context here that they yeah. they were known uh, kind of like fence sitters. Yeah. Now there's been a lot of controversy now because the Mormon Church acts like they don't know why anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But you were taught that. Yes. The, oh yes. Back in seventy uh, eight. I think it was along about September or so, Chris Volakis, uh, whom you, I think, mm-hmm. you know, he and I went down and talked with uh, 
the Grand Richards. Uh, he was a Mormon apostle at apostle, the time. And ask him point blank, was that a revelation or was it an agreement among the apostles? And I was surprised. He said it was an agreement, um, which was interesting to me. <laughs> Sounds like more of a corporate decision rather than a revelation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wonder if a lot of people would ever stop to think about that. Yeah. And the problem I think the Mormon church has, and certainly you've recognized this, is they've written just about everything down. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of knowing where to look. Yeah. yeah. And now with the, the age of digitizing past documents and stuff, it's so easy to go and find this information. And I, I've made the comment that when, I, when the Mormon church started digitizing their material, that was a, a great day for me because yes. now I don't have to wade through page after page after page to find anything. I can just do keywords now and find these things almost instantly. It's changed research oh. immensely for all of us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, it hasn't helped the Mormon church, I, I don't think, in a lot of areas yeah. because now the average member of the church can find out the same stuff that we've been finding out. And I know... You've probably been accused of being an anti-Mormon. <laughs> oh, yes. And I don't know what we are now since they're not supposed to use the word Mormon anymore, although I still find some are, are still accusing us of being that. How does that make you feel, Mar? Because I, I've always detested that title, because I'm not against Mormons at all. But well, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm not either. I, I like Mormon people or I wouldn't live here, but... Um, it's the doctrine that they're teaching and calling it Christianity that bothers me. If they want to call me an anti-Mormon because I point out uh, some of the problems I see with those kind of claims, they can do it. But, uh, yeah, I've been, especially when I first started, I was cursed by the power of the priesthood so many times. After a year or two, I started saying, well, you better give me a double whammy because the last one didn't work. And yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't too long after that that for some reason... I stopped getting cursed by the power of the priesthood. I, mm. I don't know if that had a whole lot to do with it, but at least they, they decided they shouldn't be doing that. And uh, apparently word got back to the leaders and, and they cut it off. They, they weren't doing it. But I remember that one time I was in California and uh, Northern California and I it was speaking and this guy jumped up and he shouted, I adjure you in the name of Jesus Christ to stop this blasphemy against the true church. And I looked at him and just went right on with what I was talking about. And uh, we got through, had time for questions and answers and stuff, and, and dismissed the service. Uh, I noticed that he and there was a whole line of uh, Mormons with him uh, were trying to get out the back door. So I ran to him and I said, hey, you had something to say to me when I was up there. I'd like to talk to you. And he said, I'm not sure we got anything to talk about. But he finally agreed, and he and the pastor and I and well, half a dozen other LDS people talked till about midnight, and um, they didn't have any answers for the questions that I was raising. And as we were getting ready to leave, I said to the fellow that challenged me, I said, if anything should demonstrate to you that you do not have the priesthood you've been told you have, tonight should do it. And it was like I hit him with a club. He just, mm. you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, priesthood is everything with yeah. them. You know, they've got this idea that they have a restored Aaronic priesthood, which, of course, none of them qualify for. Right. And this, this alleged Melchizedek priesthood that they talk about. And, of course, they merely mis, misuse verses out of Hebrews and such. There's no 
example in the New Testament of any of the apostles ever having this Melchizedek priesthood. And you think something as important as that is in Mormonism, there would be some mention of that, yes. at least attributed to Peter and Paul and others in, mm-hmm. in the early years of the Christian church. That alone, you would think, would, would open the eyes of a lot of Latter-day Saints. But there there is a spiritual blindness. There's no doubt about that. And I think as Christians, we need to be compassionate. We need to be sympathetic. We need to be patient because Mormons, such as yourself, you didn't see a lot of these, these, no. these things. No. And it wasn't until you were challenged that you started looking into it. And the Holy Spirit graciously was opening your eyes to a lot of these truths, which eventually led you out of the Mormon church. We've been talking to Marv Cowan. He's with Missions Door. And if you want to check out the website that he's affiliated with, it's Utah Christian Pub. UtahChristianPub.com. And yesterday, Marv, you said if somebody wanted to write you, they may have any questions they'd like to ask you. It's Pastor Marv 80, the number 80, Pastor Marv 80 at gmail.com. And tomorrow, I want to continue talking about your conversion out of Mormonism and some of the struggles that you had going into Christianity. And so we've been talking with Marv Cowan, and again, he's with Missions Door, and that's his website is utahchristianpub.com. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.